Hello and welcome to WNC Original Music episode 142, the Intangible Asset episode. This week we have Blake Hornsby returning to the podcast. Blake is a psychedelic folk musician, born and raised in Chattanooga, but currently based out of Boone, North Carolina. He has got a few albums out, and on this episode we're talking about his most recent release, Dogwood Dance. Like most of his music, it's very Indian influenced, but with his own sense of style and musical experimentation. You can find Blake's music on all the streaming sites and also at blakehornsby.bandcamp.com. And now here is Blake Hornsby. Thank you. 
Dogwood Dance was recorded in Asheville at Echo Mountain Recording. I recorded it over the course of two days. It's all solo by myself. One of the songs I have, the electric tambour, like I used in Teetering on the Edge of the Void. Uh-huh. Um, but that was recorded really just two evenings. I think from like over the course of like 10 hours or so. Uh, I recorded most of it in late December and then the rest of it in early January actually wrote a new song for it in between in between those times and that was very different recording experience you know because whenever we recorded teetering in Nashville it was you know to tape and with all these other musicians that I had in this nice, nice, big, big ish room, at least in comparison to what I was recording Echo Mountain, because Echo Mountain, since it was just me and the guitar, it was, it was almost like a, a large, fancy glorified closet, you know, right? right. (laughs) Um, They had, they have a church there that you can record in because it used to be a church. And I looked at that and that was cool, but there was no reason for me to record it there whenever there there was a small little studio that was just for what i needed yeah it just looks really cool yeah yeah have you been in there uh no no i haven't i've uh i've seen it like uh videos of it being recorded there all right let's go uh song by song dogwood dance dogwood dance um it's another one of my favorites that i've written uh it's in my signature open C tuning, the tuning I use for the entire second half of teetering on the edge of the void is open C with an extra C. So it'd be C G C G C C to give away my secret, why it sounds so drony and different. Mm-hmm. Um, this particular song is C G C G C E. So it's the actual open C tuning. I figured that out a while ago, just by doing the root and the fifth of C and I wanted to have like extra drone. And then it turns out a lot of my favorite guitarists have used it, or two two of my favorite guitarists, Robbie Basho and John Fahey. Um, they both, both do it. Um, I'll get to Robbie Basho a little more later because there's a song named after him. But this song's also directly related to Robbie Basho because he had a song I wanted to learn called Redwood Ramble. And I looked, I looked at it, looked at the tabs, and I was like, I don't feel like I'm too lazy to learn this. <laughs> so I wrote my own version based off of that called Dogwood Dance. Another, another uh, tree alliteration, two-word thing. Right. So, uh, so it's kind of my, my version of that that's nothing like the original. But if, if you listen to the original... You can see where I got influence, but it's still like it's the same tuning. But other than that, it's, it's not not the same song at all.
darling with flowers in her hair. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, I wrote him. I wrote just the first few words to. I got. Lazy. Oh no, you're. <laughs> no, you're a good man. Um, yeah, that's a real short one, short and sweet. I came up with that one because I think it's an open G flat or something. Uh, came up with that one because I was trying to learn this Led Zeppelin song, That's the Way, and that's the tuning that was in. Mm-hmm. I did learn it. I just never really memorized the lyrics or perfected it. Maybe I'll come back to it someday. But I had it in that tuning for trying to learn that song, and then the next morning I brought it down to the to the creek on the property where I live and just started playing around. And then within like a couple minutes, I came up with most of the song and then fleshed it out over the next couple of days and decided I wanted to record it. I don't know where that name came from, but you know, it seems like a sort of happy flowery song. So yeah. 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 This album's definitely more, uh, conventional for lack of a better term in mm-hmm. comparison to teetering on the edge of the void it's not as ambitious in terms of you know me writing nine pages of what i want people to do and right. all the lyrics and everything you know and having a bunch of musicians and instruments uh, but you know it, it it's different you know it's 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 totally different similar but totally different i mean the Waiting in the Forefront from Teeter on the Edge of the Void, I re-recorded for this album um, because I wanted to have an album that contained all of my, a, a lot of my instrumental stuff because I was starting to write more instrumental things along the lines of John Fahey, Robbie Basho, some other folks like that. And I wanted to just sort of consolidate it. So during quarantine and a little after quarantine last year is whenever I wrote the new songs. So I kind of wanted an album to not only exemplify what I was doing as an instrumental guitar player, Mm. but also to pitch to other venues and places that might not be as interested in the teetering on the edge of of the void type stuff. Oh yeah. 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 Makes sense. Places where, um, you know, they might not want to get super loud and noisy with like the space in El Dorado. Right. They might, they might just want me to play a little bit of guitar or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so that's part of the reason I created it, but that's not the only reason, you know, sounds like kind of superficial to just create an album to use it for that. But, right. um, you know, I, I was also writing new material. And also a few of the songs, uh, so-called Eternity Blues, Waiting in the Forefront that I mentioned, and Mountain Spring had all been previously released on other albums. Mountain Spring and Eternity Blues had been released on uh, Legend of the Unconscious Enigma, which I wrote uh, multiple years ago. I think in like 2016, I wrote that, 2017, something like that. And yeah, 2017. Um, I wanted to re-record those just, uh, like I said, compile a bunch of my instrumental stuff because that album was fairly experimental too. So I took two of the 
instrumental solo guitar songs and the one instrumental solo guitar song from the previous record and then just wrote um well, i wrote five wrote five other songs and then put it all together the other ones were slightly reworkings and then the rest was new material
I wrote that one during lockdown. I also started on Dogwood Dance during lockdown. Mm-hmm. Um, but Fire Amongst the Evening Waters. Pulled out my 12 string. Hadn't don't I hadn't released anything with me playing on my 12 string. No, I released one something. One one something, one thing uh, a few years ago. Um, wasn't a professional album, it was just a self-released one. But anyways, I digress. I hadn't recorded much with my 12 string before, and I don't really play it much before much. I don't really play it much. But I wanted to write some write some songs with it because 12 string's interesting. It's almost like a it's almost like a different instrument. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whenever I play it up and start like picking on it and impro- improvising it's i play it like in pretty much a different style than i play six string it's yeah. kind of weird uh, does it's it pretty cool does it feel do you feel some connection with that and the sitar because of the sympathetic strings and that sort of thing mm, not as much oddly enough whenever i pick up the six string i do more eastern related stuff hmm and blues related stuff. But whenever I pick up the 12 string, I start to want to go into like a fantasy medieval vibe land. Yeah. Yeah. Because it has that sound kind of like almost like a harpsichord, you know, Mm -hmm. at certain times because harpsichords are, if I'm not mistaken, um, they, oh yeah, no. The way harpsichords work are instead of uh, whenever you hit the key, instead of the hammer hitting the string mm-hmm. in the piano, um, it plucks the string, so right. it has a brighter, brighter yeah. sound. And then with all the strings being doubled on the twelve string, and then some of them not the same uh, octave, it'll be like the same note, two different octaves on mm-hmm. one chorus of strings. That makes it sound kind of somewhat similar to a harpsichord. Yeah, not exactly, but I guess that's what it kind of reminds me of. So I start going into the sort of medieval type stuff, and with fire amongst the evening waters, I named it that because I I was writing it and I was working on it. Then I brought it um, to a little spot just off the parkway during sunset and played next to a tree. And I just closed my eyes and I asked myself, where, where do you feel like you are? What is this song? And then I thought of fire and water, mm-hmm. <laughs> fire amongst the evening waters amongst sounds, you know, fun and British. And right. that's... <laughs> so I put that in there cause it's a 12 string. <laughs> <laughs> More from Blake Hornsby in just a few moments. I want to remind you to check out his music at blakehornsby.bandcamp.com. Also check out the show notes for other places to find his music and his social media and all that stuff. And don't forget, this is Blake's second episode of the podcast. So go back in the archives and check out his first episode uh, in which we discuss more of his music. When you go to Bandcamp, make sure to listen to his other albums. They're equally as good. And finally, Blake is playing live uh, different places as we speak. Not as we speak, because first of all, we're not speaking as I speak, but even then, I don't know if he's playing right now. Anyway, the point is he's actively playing live on the weekends and throughout the week. So go to his social media and find out if he's playing near you.
Hey, it's Andrew Scotchy from Andrew Scotchy and the River Rats. Thank you for supporting WNC Original Music. Visit andrewscotchymusic.com for tour dates, merch, and much more. Make sure to go to wncoriginalmusic.com or search WNC Original Music on any podcast player that you prefer and uh, subscribe if possible. That way you get it every uh, fortnight or more that the podcast comes out. I promise it will be at least once a month. Promises? Promises. Corrections and clarifications from last week's episode with True Vare. A kingfisher is a bird. A kingfish is a fish. It's that simple. We were both right. Hola, soy Nestor Terán del grupo Crave Amico. Y estás escuchando WNC Música Original.
to Robbie Basher. This is the other 12 string song on the record. This is the one song that I wrote in between sessions. So I went back and I think whenever I went back, I just recorded this one, the other 12 string one. I recorded the rest of the album on an evening in December and then two 12 strings on an evening in January. Uh, this Ode to Robbie Bass show. I've been wanting to write a song called that for a long time mm-hmm. because he's uh, one of my favorite guitarists, but I, I kind of, I kind of forced it a little bit. So I, I, I like it. And it's fun to play. I hardly ever play it, but whenever I pull it out and play it, I I do enjoy it. But I worked hard on it. I feel like maybe I forced it too much because I wanted to have it included on the album. And it's called Odorabi Basho because he's known for playing 12 string. I think most of his songs were recorded on six string, but he played a lot of 12 string and he played in open C tuning a lot and variations on that. So I tuned it to an open C tuning. And I looked at the notation of a particular raga called Kamaj. It's an evening raga. Mm-hmm. And I just pulled the, the, the specific notes used in that raga to uh, as the skeleton for the song. And I listened to Robbie Basho and just picked up certain little things and nuances that he does and sort of recreated it to a certain extent like he likes to do the which i do in dogwood dance as well the three finger um fast thing that they do in a lot of classical music he likes to he likes doing that but he'll do it in a much more but whenever whenever it's done on a 12 string and an open tuning and that steel string instead of a six string nylon guitar it definitely sounds like a lot more uh, almost chaotic yeah um, de- definitely like kind of kind of avant-garde percussive but still sound, yeah. Yeah, yeah still beautiful at the same time um so i incorporated that and just other little kind of ornaments that i've noticed him doing uh, he's unfortunately a lot of people don't know about him he i think by the 80s whenever he died all of his records were out of print he he died young um his chiropractor accidentally killed him in a experimental uh adjustment oh no yeah yeah it's pretty crazy but Mm -hmm. this guy was wild there's a really cool documentary on him called the enigma of robbie basho Mm -hmm. um that y'all should check out if you're interested he was a very mysterious fellow. Um, very, uh, I don't know. There was something about him. Like you can even hear it in his music and in his voice and in his playing something just very ethereal and different, like not of this earth. Yeah. I don't know how to describe it. Hmm. He was kind of private. He was very odd. He never really had a, a romantic partner. Uh, he, blended like spanish music with persian music and hindu music on the steel string and would play solo and then his first couple albums were instrumental but then he started singing i used to hate his voice it's kind of like almost opera like 
Oh yeah. It, it turned me off for a while, but eventually I started really, really, really loving it. He's got a lot of, uh, a whole lot of passion in it. You can really feel, yeah. feel his energy. He was also born with synesthesia. So like he had a, you can find it online. He has a chart that he wrote of different tunings and different chords or whatever. And the color and the mood that was associated with it. So the color that he would see whenever he was playing D minor or whatever. And D minor, he described as agony, pretty sure. Yeah. And then C, C, he calls the sun tuning, I think, because of uh, it was the tuning used on Sunflower River Blues by John Fahey. And he says that's, I think he said it's associated with the color yellow, maybe. Maybe it was blue, and he said it was also associated with Krishna. I don't know. He was a very interesting fellow. Yeah. <laughs> Where do you play? Do you have a couple of places that you play live fairly often? Mm, no. Well, I mean, I go to the open mic in uh, Appalachian Mountain Brewery in Boone mm-hmm. sometimes. But other than that, not really. Yeah. Because of the pandemic... Uh, I only played one show last year. It was just me and Sam played at Static Age Records in Asheville just a few weeks after we, we recorded Teetering on the Edge of the Void. He was on violin. I was on guitar, vocals, the Turkish instrument called a Saz Cura, and random other jingle, jangly, shaky things. But now I'm playing with uh, Jonathan on uh, on Tablas and Doombeck, and we've played a couple shows this year, and we got some other ones booked coming up oh, cool. in North Carolina. And so, I mean, before I, I feel like I've gotten more serious about music just in the past two years. So it's it's kind of hard to answer the question because I was gonna go on tour for Teetering on the Edge of the Void last year, but then the pandemic happened. And then before that, you know, I might I might have played like between seven and fifteen shows a year, mm-hmm. probably right around twelve. But now I'm starting to branch out of Boone and messaging people, especially now that I have a uh, two professional albums under uh, under my sleeve instead yeah. of just home recorded stuff. Right. You know, it sounds better and it's. Uh, more convincing if you're trying to pitch to a venue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, hopefully, off your phone. right? Yeah. Hopefully, a lot more. I think I got seven dates um, this year, plus three other shows I've played this year. So, nice. and I hope to go on a on a much longer tour next year.
Yeah, so Yaman Kalyan is the longest track on the album. It is uh, around 15 minutes or so. I took it, uh, I got it on the first take, even though there are mess ups in it. (laughs) (laughs) So Yaman Kalyan is the name of a popular evening raga in India. I found the notes for the raga and I was sort of doing some amateur studying of Indian music. I did more so between, I, I did it a lot in uh, in lockdown. So in between recording Teetering on the Edge of the Void and recording Dogwood Dance, I started to delve deeper into Indian music, uh, particularly Northern Indian classical music, which is called Hindustani music. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, started learning about the different movements, listening to it more and finding finding the notes in different ragas for different time periods of day because every raga is associated with like, you know, dusk, dawn, early afternoon, late afternoon, even the seasons. Some of them are just a rainy season. Some of them you can only play as the last raga in your concert. Hmm. And you're supposed to listen to uh, ragas at this specific time of day you're supposed to practice them you're supposed to play them perform them listen to them all the time of day that they're meant to be you know there's a a window of leeway but um you know if you listen to say coffee um, that's that's an evening raga but if you want to listen to it at four o'clock that's all right you know but that's not something you want to listen to wake uh, right when you wake up in the morning they believe that it's that the actual notes and not just the notes, but the way the notes are played and how they interact with other notes does something cosmic and relates to where the stars and the sun, the moon are to where it actually improves your health by listening and performing a particular raga whenever it's supposed to be played. So I recorded this one in the evening and I thought I was playing Yaman Kalyan, which is why I named it that. And then later I found out I don't think it was Yaman Kalyan uh-huh. because even though I played the notes right, I didn't know enough about Raga to know that I don't know if I played the notes how they were supposed to be played. Hmm. So I started taking some lessons with the Ali Akbar. Uh, wait, hold on. I started taking lessons at Ali Akbar College of Music uh-huh. from Alam Khan. He's a Sarod player. Alam Khan is the son of Ali Akbar Khan. Ali Akbar Khan was really huge. He was like next to Ravi Shankar in terms of his popularity. I think he played on some Beatles stuff. He was actually Ravi Shankar's brother-in-law for a period of time. Um, so I've been taking lessons from Ali Akbar Khan's son. That's when I started to realize, oh, I wasn't playing ragas this whole time whenever I, I said I was, when I yeah. thought I was. So I feel kind of stupid calling it Yaman Kalyan, but it is the notes of Yaman Kalyan. But as I heard, like in a documentary, um, if you're just playing the notes without what they call ornaments, then it's just a mode. It's mm-hmm. just a scale and a mode, and it's not a raga. You got to do certain ornaments. So certain ragas. And like I said, a lot of this I didn't know until recently after this album was even released is there's specific ornaments that go with specific 
ragas, to my understanding, or ones that are more are used more often in one than the other, in terms of the way that you go up and down with certain notes, and also with ragas, there is there's two main notes that you accentuate. So even if there's X number of notes in the raga, there's one you might not want to pay attention to very much. You can use it for just a second, or you aren't supposed to go from this note to that note. You can only do these other ones from that note and then hit that one in between. Um, so it's very complex, even though a lot of it's improvisation, there's still a lot of rules. <clears throat> and it's completely different, different from Western music, you know, and these rules really, are, they're just in place for, um, to define that kind of music and promote, it sounds like kind of promote a, uh, connection to the universe. Not that there's any kind of like, if you do it wrong, you're going to hell or anything like that. Right. It, it's no. more, yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not like that. It's more like if you do it wrong, you aren't performing a raga. Yeah. You're just performing a collection of notes. Gotcha. You got to do it right. And that's what a raga is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a collection of notes with certain movements and certain feelings and certain ornaments whenever you, and you also focus more on some notes than other notes. I'm still learning. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it was, it was fun. I still play it. That's one of people's favorites to hear me play. I mm-hmm. think, um, even though it's real long. Yeah, and for uh, Dogwood Dance, I'm I'm really excited for that album. Actually, I mean, it already came out, but a record label in Australia called uh, Ramble Records has mm-hmm. decided to. Uh, press the vinyl so oh nice so they've already paid for the pressing it's in the middle of being pressed i'm actually going to receive test pressings to oh. my place here probably within the next couple of weeks that's cool um yeah. to hear it and then i'll give them the okay and they'll assemble all the artwork um, i gave them the artwork and then and then there's some complications so the guy in australia uh mike he got uh someone that he knows to do graphic design and got a similar to how i did it but made mm-hmm. it look better and he also um, designed the center labels mm-hmm. uh, inside of the actual vinyl itself and he paid for the vinyl mastering because you have to do different masterings uh, for record because it's side a side b instead of each individual track right yeah so you pay for that as well and we're getting 200 pressed and i'm gonna get them sent to my place in north carolina i'm gonna send most of them to him and he's gonna um you know put them out in record stores in australia and help promote it oh cool yeah then yeah. you're gonna go on an australian tour oh yeah eventually all right i want to thank blake for being on the podcast really enjoy talking to him and really enjoyed these albums i um, encourage you to go and get a couple of them you can find them once again at blakehornsby.bandcamp.com go and check them out and also you can find them on the streaming services don't forget to subscribe to the podcast also on most of the streaming services and all the podcast players wnc original music 
um, listen to it and tell people about it um, and be kind of like, um, you know, I found out about this before you did. So I'm a little cooler than you are. And then when it gets like super popular, you can tell people that you were listening to it before, you know, all the you know, soccer moms started listening to it. Our closing song this week comes from Sullivan Smith and Stray Lions. Sullivan Smith and Stray Lions are a pop group and a musical dance craze from Roanoke, Virginia. You can find them by searching Bandcamp or Spotify for Sullivan Smith and Stray Lions. And of course, we'll have the links to their music and their social media in the show notes. Here are Sullivan Smith and Stray Lions. Have a good week. shade here and then it, then it fades into another shade yeah. over here.